Welcome to another episode of Obsessed with Death. Thank you so much for listening and continuing to support and follow the podcast. If you don't follow us, make sure you check us out on Instagram, on Twitter, uh, Spotify, all those things. Just search Obsessed with Death. Uh, I think the Instagram is Obsessed with Death Pod. Uh, I probably, yeah, that's it. I should have double checked. I say this every time, but you can find us. We're on the internet. On this episode, we speak with Elise Gray. She is a medical and death educator, uh, as well as an author, and she's put out multiple books. One of them is f- a free ebook available now uh, that will help you get into the world of death. If that's a career path you want to go down, she has a free ebook that will take you step by step on exactly how to do that. Uh, it's all discussed on the episode, so make sure you check that out. Um, I think that's it. Make sure you rate, review, subscribe, uh, review. Leave us a review. Five stars. Write something nice about the podcast. It definitely helps. Uh, but either way, a great episode. The first guest that ever brings a bone saw on the podcast. <laughs> we get right into it. Uh, so maybe adjust. I tried to tweak the volume, but there is a bone saw going off very early in the episode. So uh, be prepared for that. It's amazing. She's amazing. Such a great episode. I'll share out all the Instagrams and Twitter uh, on our social medias if you want to follow her or check anything out. Uh, check anything out. Whatever. I'm done talking. Enjoy the episode. for you okay yeah i don't know if you um are putting this up anywhere but i have a bone saw and i thought your audience members would be interested in seeing, <laughs> hearing bone saw you, wait you would you have it with you right now yes <laughs> <laughs> this is the one time i regret not doing a video podcast because you're literally uh, just waving a bone saw in front of me and that's a, this is incredible. Well, the audio is very nice, so it should be good yeah. for. Are you gonna you're gonna you're gonna turn that thing on for us? Yeah, you ready to hear it? Yes. Okay, here we go. <laughs> oh my god, that is amazing. So it's interesting. It's like um, kind of like a Dremel, but. It's intended to cut bone, but if you nick your skin a little bit, it won't cut it. So it's pretty safe um, when you're yeah. opening up someone's skull. <laughs> yeah, you got dangerously close to your arm there. I'm impressed. Well, I touched my arm, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love that that's just sitting next to you while we're recording this podcast. That's oh, well, amazing. I dug it out just for... Just I, 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 would, I would hope so. Although it would be pretty amazing if you just carried that thing around with you. It's a little heavy. It weighs probably oh, good four or five pounds. We got to um, get you. Is is there any sort of tool belt? Has somebody has someone come up with that yet? The tool belts for 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 death work. No autopsy tool belts. 
Um, they oh. have these nice little um, kits that are like little fold-up bags, but no belts. I feel like this is an idea that we're we're brainstorming now. The autopsy tool belt. I feel like we could we could sell this. Possibly. Um, the one thing you got to worry about is the scalpels because they might stab you if you don't have the safety. Mm, okay, good point. We definitely would need to work on exactly <laughs> how the belt would work. Maybe, maybe, maybe we don't put everything on the belt, but I mean, walk everything around. but the scalpel. <laughs> yeah, exactly. If you just had a belt with just a bone saw hanging next to you, I think that would be kind of cool. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> well, uh, thank you for coming on the podcast. I, I you already win for best introduction to an episode. Um, <laughs> but we like to start but we I mean, I do I like to start the episode just by kind of asking the guests uh, what their relationship is with death. Uh, obviously, it's it's your career path. It's been a part of your life for a while, but more in just the sense of uh, you know, how does it affect you? Do you think about it a lot? I worry about death constantly. Part of the reason why I started this podcast was for, uh, you know, giving myself an outlet to, to discuss it and talk about it more. And, and hopefully that would kind of help me deal with the, the anxiety that comes with constantly thinking about it. Um, so I would love to hear what is, what is your relationship with, with death? Do you think about it a lot? Do you worry about it? How do you feel? Oh, we go way back. Death and I, um, I, I wouldn't say I don't worry about it. I do actually, um, quite a bit, but in a professional sense, I don't, um, when I'm at work, I'm a little bit removed from the patient. Um, but it all started back when I was 19 and I watched my father die of a heart attack. And after that, I sort of, I fell into a bit of a depression and you know, I got through it, graduated college, and then I met my husband on gothicmatch.com. Whoa, okay. I and it turns, out, it turns out he was a mortician, and I was like, wow, that's really cool. And then it also played in the fact that, you know, experiencing the loss of my father, I wanted to help people. And I saw that some of the work he did was helpful for people. Um so shortly after meeting him, maybe about four months later, I enrolled in mortuary school and became a mortician. Um, didn't do it for very long. I got a license and then left the field. Um, as it turns out, I'm terrible with live people. Um, and a lot of funeral work is working with families and bereaved loved ones and such. And uh, it wasn't my thing. Um, I did really enjoy the embalming aspect of it. Um, and so I also, while I was working in the funeral home, I had the opportunity to work for a transplant organization that was nearby. And I worked there part-time um, when I wasn't at the funeral home. And we would go collect bones, skin, corneas, and all sorts of tissues from deceased donors for different transplant procedures. And so once I left the funeral industry, I went to do that part or full time for about six years. And I was, uh, I've been all around to every hospital in the States and 
I spend a lot of time at the medical examiner's office. In our state, we have a statewide medical examiner system. So it means if you die of something suspicious or unnatural, you will go to the office in Baltimore. I'm in Maryland. And so they're a very busy office. And we also, as a transplant organization, we had a little suite down there because there were so many potential donors there. We would um, have someone look over the decedents and if they were eligible for donation, some uh, family counselors would call them and ask, hey, do you want to have your loved one donate? And if they said yes, then we'd uh, collect our tissue in the little suite. So I spent a lot of time down there seeing all the autopsies and I thought, oh, well, this is cool too. Uh, How do I do this? And so you can go to medical school, be a medical examiner. Um, And at that point, I didn't really want to do 13 more years of schooling to be a doctor, as tempting as it sounded. Um, But I found out you can also do autopsies as a pathologist assistant, uh, which is, it's basically a physician assistant for pathologists. So it's a master's level training program here in the U.S. And you get to perform the autopsy with supervision. Um, Some of us do forensic work. Most of us don't. Um, I, I do hospital work and most of what I do is actually surgical pathology dissection. So anytime tissue comes out in the operating room, I look at it and dissect it. And then the pathologist looks at the sections I take under the microscope. And it's the same for autopsies. I'll um, dissect the organs and the pathologist will review what I found and then sign out the case once they examine the slides. Um, But I did do some forensic work. I would I was a volunteer at the medical examiners for a while. One of my friends is an autopsy tech down there and he showed me how to do the eviscerations and all that. So I've been exposed to a lot of forensic stuff as well. Um, I post some of that on my Instagram just based on the things I've seen. And I was also appointed as a death investigator several times, but because I was working, I couldn't go to the mandatory training, so I could never do the job. <laughs> Um, but I was twice. And uh, so, yeah, that's that's how my death experience. Um, I I think talking about it's good. I think it's, you know, everybody has it on their mind to some degree. I don't I don't think it's bad to even dwell on it a little bit because it is motivating. You know, you know, you're going to die. I mean, it's a little uncomfortable to think about, but, you know, it should motivate you to want to live your best life. Yeah. And, <laughs> yeah, so, of course. Yeah, that, that's my take. And, you know, sometimes I'll see a decedent and I'll think of my loved ones and, you know, go home and give them a hug a little more tightly than normal. But, you know, my work currently doesn't really affect me in a bad way. I'm not like super morose or anything. Yeah, I've found that a lot of the people that I've spoken to, they're obviously interested in death, but they're more just focused on whatever their specific job is. That's just what's interesting to them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I lo- and that's why I love meeting all these different people and, and speaking to them, because it does sort of help me, at least. And I think people that listen as well, that, that maybe worry about it like I do, to just show that there's like so much more like I, I I've been told before that it, it's important to focus on 
what comes after death more than just the fact because i think a lot of people just worry about dying specifically like the t- the day it happens the time it happens how's it going to happen mm-hmm. you know i think that's really where the fear comes in um but no one really takes the time to really think about everything else that's involved in it and i think autopsies are obviously not for everyone i think uh, you you have a great instagram account uh there's so much to look at and so much to to learn from it but it can be i think a little intimidating or you know a little uncomfortable to some people but yeah it's not it, for everyone <laughs> no no it's not for everybody but i think there are a ton of people um that are obviously interested in it and um and, and your instagram is great um there are some other instagrams that i follow that are so much more brutal i don't know if you follow there's a crime scene cleanup instagram mm-hmm. account there's a there's a bunch of them but there's one specific that i'm following that's a tough one that one is like the i feel i don't feel like they're being trying to make uh or, or trying to scare people or be fearful but that that is like super intense yours is more on the medical side which i think more people would be interested in um how does that work exactly so you obviously are posting all kinds of different organs and what what exactly is kind of your your plan when when you're kind of creating your instagram and what you post on there so it started out with whenever i do an autopsy and see an interesting finding and be like oh i was i'll find some information about this and share it with people and because i get a lot of people come onto the page and tell me their story with and their experience with the particular disease or they had a loved one with it um and then it just kind of turned into all kinds of death uh, information, just because it, not really any particular rhyme or reason. It's more of a, I come across this and I think, wow, it's really interesting. I want to share it. Um, but people really find it, I think, helpful just because they see it. They see something that they are familiar with and they're like, finally, somebody that understands what I'm going through to some degree, like I'll share my story. And I think it's so important for people to share their stories. And some people, you know, they find it helpful. They send me their autopsy reports of family members that have died and they say, can you help me read this? And I, I really like doing that. I think one of the things I love about autopsies is just finding out what happened to the person because there's so many unanswered questions and, um, even with an autopsy, sometimes people don't have it explained to them very well. Um, and I, I think it's very important. I, I found some therapeutic uh, relief from an autopsy report myself. Um, when my dad died, he, he died of a heart attack. It was um, unexpected. And he had an autopsy. And it turns out that all of his coronary arteries were heavily blocked. So I thought when he died, I thought, since I was the last person to see him alive, I thought, well, could I have saved him? Like I, he was clutching his chest, asking me where the bathroom was. And then he died in the bathroom. And I, I thought it was like, what a horrible way to die. Could I have saved him? But as it turned out with all of those arteries being blocked, I don't think that there was any way I could have, even if I had recognized the signs, but I was younger. I hadn't had any medical training, so I didn't know. So that autopsy report kind of made me feel a lot better. It it relieved a little bit of a guilt burden. Uh, So 
Yeah, that that's so interesting because I think, especially nowadays with with the internet, and you see, I mean, I don't know if you use Twitter a ton, but Twitter, I feel like you're just constantly seeing posts online about like people who have passed away, and you know whether they're celebrities or politicians or whoever whoever they are. Um, my first thought immediately is, how did they die? What happened? It's like, of course, it's. I think it's it's natural for you to want to know what happened to this person. Can it happen to me? It immediately just, at least for me, creates like another fear. Like th- this person was young and 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 they just happened to die. Like what happened? And that's so interesting because you obviously see later they reveal how the person died via the autopsy, but they never really get into any of the details about it. And I love that, 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 that there's people like you out there that people could go to and be like, Hey, I got this autopsy report, but I, you know, I'm just this person, average person. I don't have any medical background. This is just that most of it probably doesn't make any sense to them. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think maybe I'm in the future, there's a possibility for doctors and patients to maybe simplify that and help them or, or are they always just going to have to kind of rely on finding people like you on the internet to sort of help them with that? I, w- I would love it if there was a way that patients and doctors could communicate in better ways. Um, I think due to various reasons, doctors don't have a lot of time with patients to really explain things. Um, you know, they get their 15 minutes sure. and that's it. And yeah. Um, a lot of times patients don't really understand or family members don't really understand, but they're not sure what questions to ask. And I would love it if a pathologist could come in. They don't normally deal with family members, but occasionally you do hear stories of pathologists who take the time to explain someone's biopsy report to them or their, their patient comes down to the lab and looks at under the microscope. And I, I love that. I think that's really, I think, it's good for patients to understand their conditions fully. And it, it would be really good if doctors could take more time to explain, but just our current system just isn't set up for that. And I think there are instances where, you know, you can pay a lot of money and have that, but not generally. Um, it's not. Yeah. For the, for the average person, it's kind of just right not available. And I'm not a doctor, but, you know, and I tell people that I'm not a doctor. I can try to help explain what this is, but there might be things that I can't. um, But I certainly know doctors that I can ask. I have a lot of pathologist friends. So if I see something I don't understand, I'll ask them about it. Yeah, I think that's so interesting that that there's people that that are reaching out to you and that and that they're they're looking for just a little bit more. you know, guidance on, on what happened and, and what this report is. Cause again, again, I think most people would look at that and just not have any idea what to do. And it is unfortunate that there aren't outlets for them to go to, you know, in right. a hospital or a doctor's office and be able to look at that, that they do sort of have to rely on the internet. And I mean, who knows if we're ever going to get to a place where they'll even be able to get something uh, like you did for your dad, you know, this relief, um, from an autopsy report, but, you know, I don't know, I guess we just have to hope for, for, uh, you know, the future and, and maybe that, that stuff, you know, cause we talk about on the podcast all the time. It's, it's that even just like the death culture 
It's like people just go to the hospital and then you never see them again. There's really no conversation. No one really talks about it. It's all just kind of hidden. And I think that's a big problem. And I think that this is a great conversation to have because it does sort of pinpoint a specific problem. We've always sort of taught about the, talked about the broad version of death being this, you know, cliche and I'm, cliche isn't the right word, but, but just this, this topic that, that is really just kind of pushed aside and, and not really dealt with. And obviously there's some other cultures that deal with it much better than we do, sure. but I think, yeah, it's important and specifically to this, to this, this conversation that, yeah, an autopsy report being explained to a family would help tremendously to a lot of people again, like it did with your dad. That's so great to, to kind of be able to get a little bit of relief in the fact that, yeah, unfortunately there wasn't anything you could do. There's probably millions of people just like you who felt the same way. And then, and then they just have no way of ever knowing what uh, exactly happened or what they could have or couldn't have done. Yeah. And um, they shouldn't have to ask random strangers on the internet. No. Because, well, not. I am a professional. You can't always verify someone's credentials online. Um, but, you know, I, I do have a couple interesting stories um, from people. There was one woman, uh, she was in another country. I forget where it was, it's somewhere in Asia. And her um, fiance died suddenly. Um, and from the reports that she got from the family, it sounded like he had hanged himself and it was devastating to her because he wasn't depressed and she didn't know well she had done anything or saved him because it was just out of the blue and and she was very traumatized by it I, I think his family was in another country and he his funeral was in another country and for some reason she wasn't able to interact with them very well so I asked her I was like you know, maybe you could ask the family if he had a, a history of autoerotic asphyxiation, which is a, a thing. People sure. Do yeah, no, I, I mean, there's been m- multiple people who have died sort yeah. of in, 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 in the, uh, in that, yeah, I've, I've, I've read multiple stories that, yeah, that, yeah, that could, that a could celebrity a couple years ago. At, what was his it name? Was, I think it was the, it was the guy from Kill Bill, I think. Right. Yeah. 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 That's, that's, that was, I guess essentially what they the cause of death yeah. was that yeah there's some sort of you know i i don't I, I wouldn't say community but that's like a thing that some people do mm-hmm. that unfortunately yeah can become dangerous yeah unfortunately sometimes uh people have safety escape mechanisms sometimes those fail and that's yeah what happened in, in this case unfortunately to this woman's fiance or maybe it's her boyfriend someone she loved yeah and then she found out the family said, yes, yes, that was what happened to him. It wasn't suicide. It was actually an accident. Yeah. And that was such a relief for her because it was like, oh, he didn't do this intentionally. It wasn't anything I could have done. It was an accident. So it, I felt really good being able to help her like that. And yeah, and also, I think that autoerotic association is really stigmatized because it, it does seem like people have killed themselves doing it. And I think it's important to know the difference. This, these people are not suicidal in, in any way, usually. Yeah, of course. I mean, look, everybody's into what they're into. I mean, no that shame and <laughs> whatever, whatever you, you, you want to do, go for it. I'm a big fan of 
of of as, as long as you're not hurting anybody else you know do whatever makes you happy or i would say do that with a partner <laughs> right there should be it, it would make more sense yeah if you had you know somebody spotting you for, yeah. for lack of a better <laughs> term but uh yeah i think I, I i actually remember um reading something similar about anthony bourdain as well that that was also possibly how he died because hmm. I forget. I can't remember. There was. It was. They were interviewing a doctor. It was on CNN, I believe, and they were talking about his death. And his just his personality type apparently didn't fit that type of suicide, the the hanging yourself, because he was this very you know, not that he was a private guy, but you know, he was a writer. Like usually, people like him would leave a note at least. Right. Um, you know, there there would be it, it would be more dramatic than than him just hanging himself and not saying a word to anybody. So that was that was possibly uh, something that was floated around, at least from this doctor, um, that that could have been exactly what happened to him. And uh, it's unfortunate because, you know, these people, again, they're they're doing something where they're not trying to harm themselves, but it unfortunately happens that way. And you know, it's great, again, going back to people being able to reach out to you and other people and be able to get this this relief that, okay, great, yeah, my boyfriend, my husband, he didn't kill himself, and you have to spend the rest of your life thinking that this person that you loved was depressed and uh, depressed enough to kill themselves. That's very unfortunate. Yeah. So I want to go back just a little bit because you do have all this experience, obviously, in the world of death, and you have wrote a, you've written a few different books on it. Um, something that I thought was really interesting was that you were basically just, and forgive me for the title, but you, you, you wrote a book basically about how to get into the death field or, or how to start. Mm-hmm. Um, what was the, the inspiration? Why did you, what, what made you want to write a book to sort of help other people get into that field? Another thing that I encountered with the Instagram page is that people ask me about that all the time. They're like, how did you get into this? Or how do I, how do I do this? What advice do you have? And I wanted to write a book for them, um, just because there were so many inquiries. And so that's why I, give it away for free on my website for anybody who's interested. Yeah. Plug, plug your website. What's the website? <laughs> Writerwithascalpel.com. Um, currently the advice book is on the first page and uh, you can get a link to download it um, free of charge. Yeah. Um, that's so I, great. I, you're just giving, you're giving away a lot of free information. It's really great. I think that it's stuff people don't know and, um, it's hard to find mentors in this field. And so I just want to share. It. Yeah, of course. So that, that's kind of just the, the motivation behind it is just wanting again to just help people and giving, giving another outlet to sort of help them get into this field. Cause like you said, I'm sure you probably get messages on Instagram all the time. Yeah. It's, it's really the information that I would have wanted um, when I was first getting into this profession years ago and there really wasn't anyone to guide me. So yeah, sure. I mean, we're so lucky now that we have all these different outlets that we can go to. I mean, I can't, you know, obviously 20 years ago, it's like, I, what do you, what do you even do? I guess you just try and find some classes in, in, in a college, I guess, or go to like a community college and 
try and find a forensics class, I guess. I don't, I, I mean, I still don't really even know exactly what yeah, you would do. Yeah, it depends on what you want to do. Um, my, I just kind of fell into it by accident when I met my husband and then just went down this whole rabbit hole of death. But, you know, other people, you can read more online nowadays and find out all the different fields and Instagram is full of people doing all kinds of interesting death things as well. And my book is also. Yeah, <laughs> of course. Of interviews course. with professionals. And so yeah, who are some of the people that you interviewed for the book? Uh, Judy Melanick, Dr. Judy Melanick is one of the people um, who has had been a great help to me and um, mentoring me. Uh, she's a forensic pathologist who's now in New Zealand, and she has a couple of books as well. Um, she's a, she wrote about her experiences as a medical examiner, has a couple of true crime, well, not true crime, crime books mm-hmm. with her husband. And uh, also I talked with, um, who did I talk to? Cyril Wecht, he's a very famous medical examiner. I talked to Dr. G, medical examiner of the uh, tv show series she's always been a someone i looked up to and it was really nice of her that she gave me the time to talk to me and i talked to uh the woman who invented forensic nursing uh that's an oh wow profession yep. yeah yeah i was going through the list here i have i had some of them written down just to kind of go over um but there was one that kind of stuck out it was a brain banker is that is that? Oh yes. Uh, there's a there's a brain bank at Harvard, and I talked to the woman who ran it, and she just kind of told me about the operations and what what you have to do to work at a brain bank, and and if you want to donate to the brain bank, you can call them up and say, hey, yeah, uh, I've got do, a connection. I want to be a donor. Do you rem- do? You, is there anything specific that that stuck out from that interview? Because that's just so interesting and. I wrote it down because I do want to do some more research on it. Obviously, excuse me. It um, f- just from the the name, I'm just assuming you know a a building, a room, just with drawers full of brains. I mean, I, I, that's I can't imagine it's that simple. But do you remember, um, or could you share some more details about brain banking? Well, I didn't actually get to go to the brain bank as much as I wanted to go to the brain bank. So I'm yeah, not really sure okay. what it looks like inside. Uh, <laughs> I would love to go. I mean, that sounds yeah. so cool. I imagine there. So one time I did collect a brain from a deceased patient for brain banking purposes. Okay. And uh, I think they had Alzheimer's or something. And when I took out the brain, their request was to cut it in half and freeze half of it in a minus 80 freezer and then the other half put in um, a liquid called formalin formaldehyde water which kind of preserves it and uh it was the strangest thing cutting a brain in half and then wow yeah you know, and i just shipped it out uh fedex that we all we said that a lot of things tracking and all whoa that. <laughs> uh, so yeah there's there's brains flying on planes all the time probably f- for these yeah purposes. There's also dead bodies flying on planes all the time too for funeral purposes and yeah, using cargo that you don't know about. <laughs> yeah, you don't really think about it, but sure. I mean, how else? There's it's not like there's like a specific delivery service for this stuff. I mean, it's got to be done, I guess. Yeah, by FedEx and UPS or whoever else is in charge of that. Did mm-hmm. they give any sort of reasoning behind why they wanted? And obviously, you. you 
whatever you could share, obviously it's, I'm sure mostly confidential, but what would, what would be the purpose behind doing something like that with, with a brain? Um, I think with the frozen, um, freezing it, it would be probably to preserve it so they can do fresh studies on it, molecular studies and whatnot. I, I actually don't know. Um, no one's given me details and I also haven't asked them, but yeah, I, I don't know what all goes on at the brain bank other than studies. (laughs) (laughs) Sure. Um, No, I'm, I, I'm definitely going to add it to my list of people. I mean, I would love to, to, to do a podcast specifically on that. That just sounds so interesting. And I mean, obviously the brain is just, I mean, uh, I I can't even explain, you know, it's, it's such an interesting topic, obviously, especially after, you know, you've passed away, uh, you know, there's just so much to that, that you don't, again, I don't even think about it, but it's like, yeah, sure. Of course there's, there's just a building filled with human brains. Yep. Somewhere in Boston. <laughs> <laughs> That's super wild. I'm definitely gonna have to check that out. How did um how did how did your first so you you you're performing autopsies? Do you remember um you know that your first couple? Like how did how did that process go for the first time? Do you remember any specific details about that? Mm, well, I had seen so many autopsies before doing one that it kind of blur it all together I'm trying to think what my first autopsy patient was um I I just remember being really nervous about my sure. and um and for a while I I was very nervous because I wanted everything to be perfect I wanted to make sure I found everything possible um that there was and describe it adequately and remember i do remember the first dead body i ever saw um okay let's hear about it that that's something that sticks out my husband um i went to see him at work in the funeral home and i really wanted to see a dead body because i i was in mortuary school but i hadn't like gotten to the embalming classes where you practice on cadavers so i was like you know, I want to make sure I can handle this. I think I can, but you don't know until you know. Yeah. Uh, I mean, when my dad died, I didn't really see him after he died. It was kind of, he was kind of whisked away and yeah. cremated immediately. So I didn't really have a whole lot of dead body experience. So anyway, I uh, roll up to the funeral home and my husband uh, shows me what the person he's working on. Well, they were an, a tissue donor and that I ended up working in that field down the line but that they were a tissue donor um which means all of their long bones had been removed and they were he was suturing them back together um it's a really intensive process when someone donates all their bones because you know there's a lot of skin to preserve and not a whole lot of lot of stuff left to work with um but i remember this person had a specific tattoo that said born to lose and I just thought wow wow (laughs) some irony there sure but you know I'm glad they they lost in order that other people might yeah that's incredible for them to to donate yeah to donate like that I mean I I I don't see I, I understand it's tough for family members I'm sure sometimes um, they, you, some people want to see the body, you know, there's that whole process I think is important, but 
obviously I think donating is also a great thing, especially if you could help some other people, you know, yeah. live, and, you, live and you can definitely still view the, the body of your loved one if they've donated. Um, it's just more of an intensive process to restore the body, but it's definitely doable. Sure. Um, and I, I just, I have some autopsy questions if we could just knock a few of these out. Um, I, when I picture an autopsy, I just picture a body on a table and you're just kind of digging through it. That obviously can't be the process. Is it, is it usually in pieces? Do you get like just an arm? Do you get like a foot? How does, how does that work? Uh, not not like that usually <laughs> unless the person's been in a motorcycle accident the feet stay on the body yeah. uh, and usually we aren't digging around unless there are bullet holes in the, and then in my field I don't deal with bullet wounds just because that's kind of a forensic thing I, I'm strictly hospital based gotcha. and we don't have the murders and such um, so anyway we don't really dig around we have a technician remove the organs for us um, they can remove them all in one piece or they can remove them organ by organ. And then um, on a separate table, we will weigh and dissect each one and uh, record our findings. So we're not actually like in the body. I guess somebody else is in the body um, doing that. And then, So there's somebody else that's that's specifically taking pieces. No, pieces is not a great word, but but parts of the body and then transporting them to you. And then that's when sort of the dissection process. Um, yeah, yeah we're all in the same room. And um, yeah, so. Gotcha. It's nice to have a technician. Sometimes people do it themselves, but a technician saves a lot of time because they're, they're usually very fast and skilled. Yeah, what an interesting skill to have to where you could just sort of get in there and just sort of pull different parts out of a body. I mean, and that's... then um, at the end, the brain, the brain comes out and that's where the bone saw comes in. Uh... That's right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so, and I wanted, I, I was going through your website as well, and it mentioned how you do science fairs and you go to high, high schools and, and colleges and you, and you speak, which is super interesting because I, I mean, I remember ha- like multiple times while I was in even once in middle school, I, be, I was in like sixth grade. I, do you, how young do you go when you're, when you're doing these, these talks with kids? Well, I guess middle school. It was a, a teacher friend of mine just asked me to come to the science fair. And um, I, was, I was a little hesitant because I was like, oh, do these, am I going to gross the kids out? I, right? Yeah, <laughs> so I, I started with like specimens. I started, I just got, oh, I'll get a picture of a tonsil because that's something relatable to children a lot of kids have their tonsils out and then i'll move up so maybe an organ or two and you know then talk about autopsy i'm not going to show really graphic things or get real in depth but you know at the end they're they're asking all kinds of questions and some of them are really sad like somebody wanted to know what do you do when someone has a drug overdose and this is like a yeah sixth grader yeah so you know they've experienced it but I, i think it's it's good for them to be able to ask and know the truth because they're not going to get that from school. Usually that's not something we talk about um, until biology later on. Yeah. Once you're like dissecting cats. Yeah. Yeah. I don't even know if they do that anymore. Maybe. Uh, Yes. Yeah. I try to be real sensitive in those 
scenarios. But I find the kids are very curious for the most part. And one of them left the room and never came back. Sure. But, yeah. <laughs> you know. Understandable. I think um, I think it, it goes back to what we were saying before about how, you know, death isn't really talked about. And it's this kind of hidden thing. And and look, sure, there's going to be sixth graders, seventh grade, eighth graders, high schoolers, whatever it is that aren't going to want to be a part of that, that aren't going to see that. And they're going to want to stay away from it. And I think that's totally fine. If it's up to, you know, maybe sending out uh, a letter to the parents and letting them decide if they see it or not. I totally get all of that. Unfortunately, it was uh, the kids could choose which rooms they wanted to go to, like the different career rooms. And mine was the uh, autopsy room. Yeah. So, you know, they kind of knew ahead of time, maybe a little bit about what they were getting into. So, yeah, I just went because they wanted to go usually. Yeah. I mean, I just remember when I was in, I think I was in seventh grade, we had someone come to our science class i mean it was seventh grade so it wasn't much more than just science at this point but they came down with with lungs they they came down with with um uh a heart they i don't remember everything but there it was a lot and they did the whole this is a smoker's lung and this is a non-smoker's lung and it was this whole crazy world that just like I had never even thought about the fact that you could even see this kind of stuff. And it was like it was right there. I mean, we could touch it. They get, you know, they give you gloves and they're like, yeah, go right ahead. And um, I mean, I, I don't remember exactly if it was the first or second time, because <clears throat> a second time when I was in high school, we went like on a field trip to a college, I guess. I don't know or a business or what it was, but we walked into a room. And I remember turning the corner into this, into this, this building and them taking us into a room and there was a dead body just covered up, but you could tell, like you could see that that this was the shape of a body and the feet were poking up. And then it was just a table, multiple tables, just filled with, with every part of the human body. I remember there was even a, 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 a leg cut from like mid thigh down to their foot. And it was cut in half and they were, you, they could even move it to the point where you could see like the muscles moving in the leg. It was mind blowing. And then there was a brain and a brain cut in half. And I just couldn't believe that we were like just these like degenerate children, like being able to see all this stuff. Yeah. I don't know if they do that kind of thing anymore, but yeah, it would be interesting to see if they still if they still do. I mean, again, I, I loved it. And this was like a field trip. So kids obviously had to get permission to go. But I thought it was so interesting. And I think it was a big part of probably why maybe I think about death so much now that could have probably sparked a little bit of it. But I think it's important. I think, you know, obviously I get when they're like, oh, here's a smoker's lung. Don't smoke kids like that's good. That's fine. I get that. But I think it's also just like, hey, look, this is what is inside of you. I mean, I I can't imagine I'll ever get another chance to to experience anything like that. Um, And it goes back to, again, I think just making young adults or adults in general just like more comfortable with death and and just sort of life after death. I don't know. I I fully support it. And I I think that's great. Even what you did, where it's just like, here's some photos and this is what some stuff looks like. I think it kind of opens up their minds a little bit more into what's going on yeah it's definitely you don't get that experience with a frog no no i mean yeah going back to i remember 
we dissected a, a starfish, which is super random, but we dissected a starfish. We had a frog. And then a little bit later in high school, we had, they had cats. And even that was just like, I mean, it was interesting, but I, I don't know. I don't know if I got too much out of just like looking at the inside of a cat. Yeah. If anything, it was just kind of more depressing because it was just like a frozen yeah. cat in a bag. Kitty. Yeah, it's a little unfortunate. Um, okay, so I, I won't keep you too much longer. I do appreciate you coming on the podcast and talking. Um, but you did mention when we were we were chatting on Instagram a little bit that you're working on a new book. Did you want to talk about what exactly you're working on right now? Yes, it's very exciting. Uh, it's a history book about various women who have worked in death professions over the years. Um, lots of interesting characters, uh, such as the very first mortician in the U.S., who was a woman. Um, she was a, an African-American woman named Henrietta Duderay, who also was involved with the Underground Railroad. Wow. So she would smuggle people who escaped in coffins um, and pretend like there was a funeral profession or procession to get them to their destination. So Whoa. that was really neat. Um, yeah, that's so I, interesting. I learned about the first woman to become a doctor in Europe in the 1700s, Dorothy Erksleben. She, uh, she practiced medicine in her little town, but the local doctors didn't approve of it because she wasn't licensed. Um, but she had already written a thesis and dissertation and everything. Um, and demanded to be able to present her thesis so she could get her license and so they'd leave her alone and sure enough she got her license and wow they didn't have anything else to say um so there's also there's just a whole bunch of yeah it sounds really interesting and and you're working on that now mm-hmm. um what's what's uh what's the outline look like um it, it'll be available on your website i'm assuming well i'm hoping to have it published um oh, great so, Hopefully it will be in bookstores near you someday. Uh, Very cool. Take time, and uh, but I'll definitely update my website if and when it comes out. Um, so the outline is basically going through different death professions and looking at some of the historical women involved, um, from anatomy to mortuary to forensics, uh, all kinds of fun facts. Yeah, that uh, sounds great. Yeah. Medical history is very, very weird, and I love it, and I hope you will too. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think I. I mean, I. I think that um, the topic is super interesting. Uh, Just even what you just mentioned right there, I I can't wait to check it out. Obviously, we follow each other on the internet now, so I'll definitely get updates. Hopefully, via your Instagram when uh, that book comes out, and of course, like you said, um, there's other books available on your website one of them is free to go check out right now and um yeah i just uh thank you so much for coming on the podcast i really appreciate you taking the time to chat and this was really fun sure i i have one more plug yes go <laughs> okay. for it uh, so there, there's one more book available and it is a little bit historical it's about horrible infectious diseases called Compendium Pandemica, A Guide to Horrible Infectious Diseases. So it looks at the history of some of these diseases, and it's very bizarre. And if you like this podcast, you will love Compendium Pandemica, A Guide to Horrible Infectious Diseases. That sounds great. Yeah, I'm definitely going to check it all out. I think, uh, again, I just, I, I, I did like a quick little brief. I try not to do 
too much because I want to just have the conversation. But yeah, I, it, there's tons of great stuff. Again, I'll, I'll make sure I, I post and share everything when this episode comes out so everybody could check it out. And uh, yeah, again, thank you so much for coming on. I really do appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. This has been really fun. Of course. Thank you so much. Obsessed with death.